0: Still singing during that, <laughs> you who? Bunch of socialists! I can't believe it. <laughs> what kind of church is this? Uh, I, I was actually um, just shortly after this uh, this song had come out. Uh, I my father and I were going to a Unitarian church uh, right by the house where I live now, and uh, they the pastor played this song. Pastor, teacher, whatever you'd call him. And that was actually the content of his message, was was that, and inviting us to dream, along with John, about that future. He leaves out God, Jesus, a couple of essentials, but there's still a lot of truth in what he's saying. I'll get back to that message in a little bit. Uh, No possessions, no countries, uh, nothing to kill or die for. But what I wanted to highlight at the beginning of this message is just this. I think John really gets the right concept of faith. We're in this series on faith and doubt and struggling with God and things of that sort. And I think that John Lennon was a man of faith. Not the Christian faith, but a man of faith. And with his song, he kind of captures what, that, what, what, what that's all about. Imagine. It's about the world that you imagine. The story that you imagine as being true. The story that pulls you in a certain direction. The only verse in the Bible that deals with how we do faith on the inside. Uh, what does it mean to actually do faith in your head, between your ears? It's really about imagination, and John Lennon captures that. The verse is Hebrews 11.1. 1. I quote it quite a bit. Uh, I quoted it just several weeks ago. Uh, this is my own translation, but it says, Faith is the substance, the word is hypostasis of things hoped for, or anticipated things. And the conviction, elenkos. Of things not yet visible. This is what faith is. This is what it is to have faith. It's not psychological certainty, it's not talking into something, talking yourself into something that you don't really believe. It's imagining a future that you anticipate that produces a conviction that it will be so, even though you do not yet see it. And that moves you in a certain direction. It's a move forward sort of a thing. That's why faith is always tangible, it's it's manifested. By how you're living as you move into that imagined future, imagine. So when Jesus says, "According to your faith, be it unto you," according to your faith being unto you. He's not giving us a magical principle, a kind of genie in the lamp sort of thing, but it, but he, he He is giving us a life principle, and the principle is this: all other things being equal, you will get the the future that you imagine. We're all running stories in our head. We are are, are using our imagination to envision the future in particular ways and in general ways, and. And generally speaking, that is that that will bring about the reality that you're imagining. So John Lennon here was encouraging us to imagine a particular kind of a story. I want to ask this question tonight: What is it like to have faith? Faith understood as imagination, envisionment, uh, to have a Christ-centered faith when you're facing situations that are impossible situations that are extreme in their difficulty, or situations that are simply unfixable. What is it to imagine? The future in those kind of situations. Some of you know that I, um, my wife and I, I, I have a 25-year-old son who lives with us. He's got disabilities, uh, some cognitive disabilities. He falls within the autism spectrum. At the very high end, he's he's, he's really borderline in in a lot of areas. And precisely because Nathan is so borderline in so many areas, it sometimes seems as though, as though reality is is, is structured to torment him, because he lives his life in a world where he. he, he Knows what he wants and knows what he wishes for and he wants all the normal things. There's no capacity to get them. It's like zeroed in on this fine line where he, he knows what he wishes he could have, the normal life, the normal family, normal relationships. And uh, no capacity to, 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 to get it. So he lives with a lot of anger and a lot of frustration and a lot of, of depression. And because we're his parents... We have to deal with anger and frustration and depression. And right now we've been kind of going through a rough patch. And it really weighs even more than on me. It weighs on my wife. Uh, I don't know how much of this is a guy thing, gal thing, or just a me thing, Shelly thing. But I've got an off button. I I can kind of compartmentalize I'm I, I, I in this zone over here, but then I'm able to just delete that and find the off button, and then go over here, and I don't think about that. Shelly doesn't have that capacity, so there's no off button. So she's always caring about this weight. And uh, some, yeah, it ebbs and flows. You go through good periods and bad periods. You know how life is. But uh, when it's in a bad patch, it's it's pretty heavy. A friend of ours, we we talk about this in our small group, and a friend of ours said recently, it seems like. You guys are, especially Shelly, you're going through a kind of a grief. And those people who have raised, we all know what it is to go through grief, but if you raise children with disabilities, there's a grieving process you go through, and it's not a one-time thing. Uh, A process of kind of resetting expectations and coming to grips with reality and letting go of of certain things you thought were going to be and trying to acclimate and all sorts of things like that. There's a grieving process, but we have always thought that was in the past seems like we've really come to terms with things. But this person in our small group said, it feels like you're, 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 you're going through a grieving process. And we're asking, well, what, what is there to grieve? And his response was grieving, letting go of the idea that you could fix this. And it was a bullseye. Shelly, especially because she doesn't have an off button, lives in kind of a world where, where or she has tended to, at times, uh, live in a world where it feels like or you, you believe that, that, that somewhere out there there's the one right medication that it's not going to fix everything, but it's going to at least you know, take, the, take away the major anger and frustration and depression. Or maybe there's that one therapist or the one support group or the one kind of program or the one kind of food diet or the one kind of relationship or the one something or other that's going to come in and, and, and change things. And there's just enough miracle stories out there to keep you believing that. I mean, you keep turning over every leaf there is to find you're happy ever after or at least something that's less, less anxious, miserable, depressing. And Shelly is, is so valiant. I'm just amazed at her strength at pursuing that. And see, if you're not careful, though, that that can begin to produce a kind of a, an indictment and exhaustion. Because when do you know when you can give yourself permission to stop? Because it might just be that one more Google search or just around the corner or one more this or one more that, and you just might find that one thing that you're looking for. So so how do you not live in guilt that you haven't you know, done more? You could possibly do more. It could also lead into some anger towards God. Because if there's something out there and you know about it, it'd be nice if you'd tell us and uh, keep us from exhaustion. So this friend shared this word, and and see, the reality is that we can't fix that, can't fix this. In some ways, we're 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 just like Nathan. There's something we want so badly, and we can't do it. And life seems to be structured like that sometimes, doesn't it? It's right there. It's not even a bad thing. It's a really good thing. It's an honorable thing. It's A necessary thing. It's just out of reach. And you have all the capacities to see it and want it, but you can't quite get it. It doesn't mean you quit. There's no quitting. You always work for the best. But it doesn't mean you give up. And there's a grieving that goes with this. You give up the, the, the thought that you can fix it. I, actually, I'm I, beginning to think that maybe that's just part of maturity. We're uh, coming to grips with the fact that you can't fix the world, but it doesn't mean you quit trying. Not trying to fix it, but trying to do your best, trying to make a difference. You can't fix it, but you can make a difference. And I think maturity is learning how to live in that that odd balance. And it applies in all these different ways. All of life is like that. We can't fix the world, but we're not allowed to do hopeless. We're called to make a difference, but not think that we can fix it. So I've been living in this, this, this question recently. What does faith look like in unfixable situations? What, is it, what, what does it mean to have faith? To imagine uh, a Christ-centered future in an unfixable situation. Maybe it's a situation with your child that's unfixable. Maybe it's a relationship that's unfixable, or a family that's unfixable, or your workplace that's unfixable, or the church that's unfixable. Or maybe it's your health. You, you come to the conclusion that it's not fixable, it's not going to get fixed. Maybe it's a mental issue you struggle with, or a physical disability, or ailment, or pain that you struggle with, and it just doesn't go away. And, and maybe you've had a time where you've looked for that one thing that's going to cure it, the one formula, the one medication, or what have you, and there's a part of you that says it's not fixable. It's not going away. We all live in an unfixable society, an unfixable political system, an unfixable country, like every other country. And there's a grieving process of coming to grips with that. I, I've, I've known a lot of people who, uh, you know, the, the main pain of their unfixability is, 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 a, is a broader thing than a particular relationship or kid. It's, it's a sense of the country, and there's a frustration they have, and a grief that they have. It seems like countries country's on the precipice of in their view, a financial collapse or a moral collapse, and it seems like no one's got the courage to name it and to actually make decisions that are going to hurt, to do something about it, because everyone wants to get reelected, and so, so it just keeps on going on. There's an elephant in the room, but no one's noticing it, or they do notice the elephant, but they'll, they'll call it something else, or they pretend it's not there, and, and so there's people who've got a lot of anger about that. And the ones who are the most angry are the ones who are still out hope, hope of fixing it. If only the world would follow their ideas and go with their agenda, well, then they they, would—they would, you know, fix things. So there's a lot of anger there, and sometimes folks can get violent. And we're called to, to to peace. We're called to do what we can do, but to let go of the idea that we can, humans can, on their own, fix it. So, what does faith look like when you're in an unfixable situation, whether it's family or society or country or health or your son? See, I think this is a really, really, really important question. In some ways, the all-important question, because especially as you get older, your, your idealism starts to run up against reality. And, and at least if you let it, now some people get stuck in the growing process, but if you let it, you become more and more aware of just how unfixable things are. And you got one of two choices. You either learn the art of living in faith, and in love, and in hope, in the midst of acknowledging the unfixability, or you just get more and more pissed off, excuse me, it just gets you madder and madder, and I can understand how, especially at people who are idealistic, how they sometimes, towards the end of their life, become cantankerous, curmudgeons. Former idealists who just become naysayers and negative. My dad, before he gave his heart to Christ at the age of 70, 73, was, was heading in that direction. He just used to, he had his unpleasant moments even after that, but he changed a lot. But, but he just would always be, the world is so stupid, those folks are so stupid, that idea is so stupid. And, and there was a few adjectives that I'm leaving out and saying it that way. You think the word pissed is bad? You <laughs> hanging on my father? Which is <laughs> so, you know, and in some way, see, he's an idealist. And, and, and he, the world just would not, would not let itself be fixed by his great ideas. And I uh, became sort of a curmudgeon. But see, in some ways, he's right. The world, is, the world is broken and the world is dumb, isn't it? And so the all-important question is, how do you keep faith in a broken, dumb world? How do you keep a sweet spirit in a broken and sometimes profoundly stupid world? Uh, As you see, the fixers keep on trying to fix it and they keep on breaking it and they then holler at one another and they get angry at one another and they shoot one another and it goes round and round and round like it has for centuries and it's just dumb. How do you stay walking in love and gentleness and blessing people and having that sweet spirit and stay optimistic while you're realistic about how unfixable the world is? Whether you're dealing with your son or a relationship or the country. It really is all about the story that you live in. And that brings us back to John Lennon. What future do you imagine? Remember this verse. Faith is the substance, hypostasis, of anticipated things, expected things. And the conviction, elencos, about things that are not yet visible. Faith is what you concretely imagine. And what you anticipate to the the point that you begin to experience a conviction about it. It will be so, though you do not yet see it. Maybe all the evidence is actually against it. But there's a conviction there because of the world that you are imagining. That's faith. See, John Lennon had profound faith. He had a story that he lived in. And he was, in this song, encouraging us to live in that story. It gave him hope. A world where there would not be any more wars and no more greed and no more possessions and no more country. No more countries and, and all of that. And there's a lot of kingdom in that. And he was saying, can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? I wonder if you can. He had the right concept of faith. It strikes me that his particular story was not particularly compelling or plausible. I think John Lennon's story, which is a story of so many, is implausible because unless you believe in a personal God, and he didn't, unless you believe in a personal God, I don't think you have an explanation for why nature would evolve creatures like us who are dreamers, who aren't satisfied with the way things are. Unless you believe in a personal God. I think it's rather implausible to think that humans are ever going to, on our own initiative, in fact, there's zero evidence that human beings are on our own initiative ever get off our addiction to violence. Or ever outgrow our need for countries or outgrow our, our need for racial categories or economic categories or ideological categories. There's zero evidence. Last century was the most violent century we've ever had. Yeah, we're smarter in terms of technology, but when it comes to ethics, I don't think we're all that much smarter than Neanderthals. We just can do more damage with our Neanderthal nature. His story is rather implausible. And even if you managed to get sometime in the future a world where there wasn't any wars or countries or possessions and, and you could even alleviate greed and, and, and hunger, uh, even if John Lennon got his dream, in his story you'd still have sickness and, and natural disasters and hurricanes, cancers and, and, and death. It would still be a rather sucky world in my opinion. It'd be great to have no more of that, but is that really the, the ideal of everything? It's not a compelling story, I don't think, because even if you had, for a period of time, no more wars and no more nations, countries, well, all the evidence indicates that the sun's going to lose its energy and suck up the earth and suck up the whole solar system, and then the whole galaxy is going to implode, and the whole universe is going to grow into an icy nothingness. So that's the climactic end of John Lennon's story. Not, it's not too compelling whatever peace we would have would be a little blip on the radar screen of an otherwise miserable existence here's a different story for you to imagine and I encourage you to imagine it I think it's a lot more appealing and I think it's a lot more compelling we're created in the image of a personal God and the reason we have a mind is because we're created in one who has a mind a super mind and the reason we have morals is because we're created in the image of a moral being and the reason why we long for purpose is because we're created in the image of a purposeful being and he created us to share himself with us in all of his beauty and for us to share in the responsibility for a little slice of the cosmos. And to take care of this one plot of land and to celebrate him and to enjoy our existence with him as we share his rulership over the earth. But we, and in this story, the gospel story, the kingdom story, we and other spirit agents rebelled against God. And the reason why the cosmos is so messed up and the earth is so messed up and we are so messed up is because of this rebellion. Now you have a way of explaining why we have this need for countries and we have this need for religion and greed and racism and wars. Why we're so addicted to violence is because we're messed up. We're not the way we're supposed to be. It explains why we're so unhappy with the way the world is right now. Why we dream these dreams is because we were meant. We were meant for something much greater and something much better than this. We rebelled. But according to this story, the gospel story, the kingdom story, God didn't give up on us because he's a God of unfathomable love. He became one of us and gave his life for us. And that explosion of love on Calvary in principle defeated the, the, the spiritual forces that were against us, reconciled us to God, and restored us to a rightful position on this planet. And according to this story, it's just a matter of time before the earth and the whole cosmos acknowledges that truth, that Jesus Christ is Lord, and he's the King of kings and Lord of lords. According to this story, that ending goes on forever and ever. There's not just a little momentary blip, and then the universe goes into nothingness. no. In this story, God's perfect love will reign forever and ever and ever. Uh, Paul put it like this in Ephesians chapter 1. Amen. It's a good story. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. This is just four verses after the one that Jill read earlier. To be put into effect. See, it's already true, but it's not put into effect. When times reach their fulfillment... To bring here's the purpose, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. According to this story, and we all live in a story, you just choose which one it's going to be. I have all the reasons in the world to think that this is the true story. I, 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 I don't when I consider all the historical evidence and the, and the psychological and the existential and the philosophical evidence, I got every reason to believe that this is true. When the times reach their fulfillment, unity will be given to all things under Christ. When the times reach their fulfillment, Then everything will be brought into harmony in in, in Christ Jesus. When the time reaches their fulfillment... Then Jesus Christ in his perfect love will reign as Lord over every square inch of the cosmos. When the time reaches its fulfillment, then everything will be integrated into the victory of Christ. When the time reaches its fulfillment, then God's perfect love, the love that he eternally is, will define every square inch of reality for all of time. At the end of this story, yes, there's like John Lennon's story, there's no more countries, there's no more killing, there's no more dying, there's there's, there's no more greed, there's no more poverty. Yes, amen to that much. There's also no more sickness and no more deaths and no more cancer and no more autism and other things that, that, that afflict us. There's also no more uh, evil and destruction. There's no more rebellion. There's no more violent revolutions that are going on. In this story, in this story, death doesn't have the last word. God does. Life does. In, in this story, evil doesn't have the last word. Goodness does. Amen. In this story, in this story, darkness doesn't have the light, last word, light does. Hatred doesn't have the last story. God's love does. He reigns forever and ever. So the question of faith becomes this. How do you imagine that story? What does it look like to imagine that story when you're facing, when you're facing uh, an unfixable situation, waiting for this fulfillment of time to come? What is it to imagine? The right world. The true future and you're facing an unfixable situation, remember once again, faith is the substance of anticipated things, the conviction about things that are not yet visible. If, if I lived in the story that this life was all there was, and the best hope was not having a war, if I lived in that story, I I, I, I don't know how you'd rise above uh, just a, a you'd consider minimal miserableness a great success. It would just be a sucky story. You get dealt a, a bad deck of genetic cards. That's it. It's just, it's just you got one shot, and, and this is this roulette. Who gets what genes and what, what ailments and what positives and what negatives, and it's just sort of, sorry, you got dealt a, a, a deck of cards that is kind of hardwired to torment you. That's the whole story. Shelly and I remind ourselves of the kingdom a lot. Which, you know, life is is still rough, however you're going to slice this thing. There's no easy ticket on this. Still rough. This isn't la-la-la and Pollyanna or whatever, but but, but we remind ourselves that when the times reach their fulfillment, everything will be brought into harmony in Christ Jesus. And that means that our boy will be brought into harmony with Christ Jesus. We remind ourselves, we imagine, we imagine a future when all the times reach their fulfillment, when everything will be brought under the loving lordship of Jesus Christ. So our boy Nathan will be totally bought. Every, every aspect of his being will be brought under the loving lordship of Christ Jesus. We, 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 we imagine, we envision for ourselves the true story that when the times reach their fulfillment, everything will be integrated, perfectly integrated into the victory of Jesus Christ on Calvary, which means that our boy will be perfectly integrated into the victory. Of Jesus on Calvary. And we, we exercise faith. We exercise faith. <laughs> Amen. And then there's coming a time when God's perfect love will define every square inch of the cosmos. And therefore, God, God's love will define every square inch of our boy Nathan. And of our, uh, of our being together. And of society. And of country. And of globe. And of the entire cosmos. We imagine that. That's the concrete hypostasis we grab onto concrete imagine that. Can you imagine that? I see that imagination creates a conviction. Yes, that's why in the New Testament you read this prayer, Come quickly, Lord Jesus. <laughs> I, want, I want that future. But that also is what gives you strength to press on. Even though you don't yet see it. Maybe even the evidence is a guess that I have every reason to believe it's true, though the world doesn't look like it's moving in that direction all the time. We can't fix this situation. But when we can imagine a future where it's all integrated into the victory of Jesus Christ, it means we can keep on loving, and we can keep on learning, and we can keep on doing Google researches, and we can have a peace in the midst of it. At least more peace than we have if we don't have that. And it gives you a strength to keep pressing forward. And See, the promise of God, and this is such a beautiful promise, the promise of God is that when the times reach their fulfillment and everything's brought under the headship of Christ, It's not just everything in the present moment is brought under the headship of Christ, but everything that ever has been is brought under the headship of Christ, the lordship of Christ, which means he redeems everything, which means there's no waste. None of this is in vain. The struggles are not in vain. Even the failures are not in vain. The times of hopelessness are not in vain. He redeems all things. They'll be brought together in unity in Christ Jesus, and that gives you a peace, a peace to deal with the unfixability of the world without giving up gives you a strength in the face of the unfixability of the world or your child or your marriage or your society or your health gives you a peace in the midst of it but also a strength not an acquiescence like well I can't do it no no. it's a strength to go on why? because you've got that hypostasis. you've got that imagine imagine there is a heaven it's easy if you try and, and you press towards that Day by day. Don't live in a story where this is all there is. Don't live in that story. Or even John Lennon's story where we hope that the world becomes a better place until it finally sinks into the sun in a supernova. Now, imagine the, the, the story that the gospel invites us to imagine. Live in that story. The story where Christ is victorious. The the story where everything will be brought to unity under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Live in that story. Imagine that story. Envision that story. Have faith in that story. And ask God to help you then incarnate that story in your particular situation. So right now, we just close your eyes for a moment. And I, I want you to, in all honesty before God, Ask Him to show you just one, just one unfixable thing in your life right now. Something you wish you could fix, but you know you can't. It might be a loved one who is, you see them making decisions that are going to bring a lot of pain on their life. It might be something in you, it might be something in your family, your workplace, something that's not fixable, or at least you sense it's not fixable. Maybe it's something you've despaired of. Envision that. Just try right now, picture it. It's not pleasant, but do it. And then, I encourage you to just let that go. The urge to fix it, to let it go. I find it helpful, many people find it helpful as you're doing a, a spiritual exercise like this to turn your, your palms downward as a sign of letting go. What we do with our body affects our spirit. And so, just let it go. How, however that looks for you, let it go. You can't, fix it. You can't fix it. There may even be a grieving process to that. Sometimes we were taught that we're supposed to be fixers. We're not. Let it go. Let it fade. But now open yourself up to imagine. And here I like to just put my palms up in the air to receive from God what he has for me. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? You don't have to know the particulars. But believe that, have faith that, envision that Jesus Christ will reign in His loving Lordship over this situation, over this person, over this disability, over this struggle that you have. Envision freedom, however that looks like. And Lord, give us the wisdom to see this, to envision this. What does it look like? To see your loved one no longer in the wheelchair, it will happen. What does it look like for you to no longer have that burden? It will happen. What does it look like for your child no longer have that learning disability? Or that social struggle? What does it look like for the world? It has no more cancer and sickness and death and killing and dying in countries and racism and greed. Envision it. Lord, just give us a picture of it. However that works for you. We all do it a little differently, but imagine. Imagine. As I close in prayer, I want to invite the prayer teams to come forward. And if you're here tonight and have any need that you'd like to pray for. Maybe it's finding some hope in a situation that's so hopeless. It could be anything. In fact, as Jill said earlier, maybe you don't even know what you need to pray for, but it doesn't stop you from doing it. So come forward. But as I close in prayer, I'd like the prayer teams to come up here and I invite you to come forward at the end of the service. As I pray, Father, give us vision. Help us to imagine. Help us to dare to believe, to have faith, to envision. A good news that could not be gooder. Uh, A beautiful news, a beautiful story that could not be more beautiful. Father, I pray that you'd just give in that story, as you enliven our imagination, and help us to dream dreams. I pray, Lord God, that that would minister peace to those of us who need peace in the midst of the unfixable situation that we're in. I pray it would give strength to not give up, but to keep on making whatever difference we can make, knowing full well that we can't fix it but believing full well that you can and you will. And we trust in you. We have faith in you. We surrender all to you, knowing that in you it will all be redeemed. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Go out with faith.